Welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and with us today is co-host Bruce Whitaker. Welcome, Bruce. Hello, VJR, and good evening, everybody. Good evening, good evening. Hi, so today, today, our featured guest is Lorenzo Rodriguez. She is a Mexican artist living in New York City. She has exhibited nationally and internationally, as well as collaborated with international brands. Her work was, has been reviewed in most of the newspapers in Mexico, as well as in international magazines and blogs. And blogs. She holds an MFA in Fine Arts from SVA, NYC, and an undergraduate diploma in Communications and Business Marketing by Universidad um, Ibrio Americana, Mexico, and Regents Business School, London. She ran the Chicago Marathon in 2015, has climbed all the major peaks in Mexico. Um, she has an active Buddhist practice, which, she, which has influenced her and her art making since 2015. Welcome, thank, Ranza. Thank you so much, BJ and Bruce. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, thank you. So why don't we start the conversation off a little bit about your evolution as an artist and, and a person. Tell us a little bit about the stages you, you went through in your life, um, and then we can kind of get into how um, your Buddhist practice has been a, an active part of your past five years, yeah. Amazing. Okay, first of all, I'm gonna tell you, feel free to interrupt me at any minute because I talk a lot. <laughs> No, so if really, you feel that you want to jump in, like, go for it, really. Without <laughs> <laughs> um, So I, I started, I think, officially making art around 2013. Before that, my dream was to become a CEO of an advertising agency. That was my biggest dream. <laughs> I was like, I want to make campaigns and I want to make, like, better better advertising for products to, like, not make it as commercial. I mean, that was, like what I was thinking back then, right? Super dreaming of a perfect world. And when I was in the advertising agency, the creative team, because I, I was always drawing, you know, since I was in like really in kindergarten, middle school, high school, I was all the time drawing. And what's funny is that I was, that I always drew geometry. Like I, there was a time that I drew like this like weird mushroom, super geometric and and eyes similar to this ones that I have in my background, actually. But it has it had always been geometry. And then in the advertising agency, the the create the creators, because I was young, I was like kind of like an intern, you know. And they were like, I think you should dedicate yourself to art. You're not a you're not for advertising. You're you're an artist. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, you should start framing your drawings and moving them around because also the ideas that you give when we have meetings, they're like more towards like the artistic side than like publicity and like advertising, you know? So they planted that seed in my head and I started to go for it. I started to frame my, my projects. I started to apply to a few open calls and things started working out. I mean, I, I got accepted. I started doing a, a few shows and for me it was like, ah, oh, I love this hobby of mine that I'm in the office and I'm starting to like do some art shows until, until I felt the necessity of, changing um, advertising agencies because I wanted to go to a bigger one where I had more opportunity to grow. I was almost one year in that agency. Um, so when I was doing that switch, I, I was like, oh, well, while, while I don't have work, I'm going to, I'm going to keep like doing my art and promoting it. And then just when, like when that happened, um, my grandmother died and I had access to, to amount of money. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to use this to like support my, my art. And then I 
never went back to the agency. My dad was pretty pissed, to be honest. He was like, what are you doing? When are you going to find work? When are you going to find work? And I'm like, oh, I'm applying. I'm a and I was. I was looking for work, but the, the art started working. You know, I started having a lot of opportunities and I had my grandma's money to support me in a way. So I, I, was, a I was able to do it this way until, like, time flies. And I was two years in. I had my studio downtown Mexico City. Make, making work. Um, when I did fractals, I worked a lot with brands. So yeah, that's that's how it happened until um, I was like maybe like six or seven years into doing fractals and doing all work inspired and based in, in fractal geometry. And until I started, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of gallerists, which I was young and fractals tend to look a little bit commercial. So like all the galleries were like, mm, like your work is a little bit commercial. Maybe you're not an artist, maybe you're a designer, but if you feel that you want to take it one step further, I think that you should do an MFA in fine arts. But I had not never studied art before. I studied business communications and marketing, right? Mm. So then I was like, hmm, I started like playing around with the idea of doing an MFA in, in fine arts. So it, from when the idea touched my head until I was able to do it, it was like three years, you know, doing like the whole research, where should I go, talking to people. I applied to seven different schools. I got accepted into two. Um, and at the end of the day, like things, things worked and I was in New York City and in New York City I arrived and I had a, a wonderful mentor. She was super tough, but honestly, I have to accept that she she's a she's like a huge like character in my i mean i don't know how you translate that word in in, in english because like un personaje, like a like a person that was so important in my art career because she made me change my practice she pushed me out of the comfort zone she was like no more fractals you need to expand you need to like use new use like new ideas like i remember that i showed her my all the classes that i had signed right. up for huh I just want to ask, could you explain what fractals are? Because some listeners may not know that. And I, I've seen some of your art, which we can't show on the radio. But um, what what is a fractal and how did you use it in your art before we go any further? Good, good idea. Good, good question. Thank you, Bruce. Um, well, a, a, a fractal is a hole made out of tiny little holes that look like the same hole. This is, this is super crazy to like hearing it like this, but I'm going to... I'm gonna put a. I'm gonna put an example. For example, um, if we see a sunflower, and we divide the sunflower to its tiny little particles, that little particle looks like, like like the sunflower. Let's let's try a a, a beehive. You know, like we have a wait. Everything that's organic in the universe is fractal. Okay, everything that's created by my mother nature god or whatever you you want to call it everything that's organic is fractal that means that that it's made of tiny pieces that look like the whole piece by itself if you put it together everything like the stars the dna um animals shells everything is, is fractal and the pythagoreans found a lot of mathematical codes that fit perfectly to everything that's organic in the universe which that's which that's that's pretty crazy. I mean is that, that Fibonacci is it Fibonacci? Fibonacci, exactly. Yeah. Like zero zero one one. Like the number, yeah. the result of the number is mm -hmm. 
what adds the number before. Yeah, so, and also it's like the order of the universe, the way the, the universe has a, a sacred order to it. So speaking, exactly. of, speaking of which uh, about geometry and the sacred geometry, how we're, we're moving between or through that, if you could talk a little bit about sacred geometry and how it's different or if there's a difference between like how that term is organically arising in this conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, there's proof of this, you know, like this is pure science. I mean, yeah. how can a code go perfectly, like can fit perfectly into everything that's organic? It's it's something that makes me realize that there is something larger than us, you know, that there's something way more intelligent and we're just part of that. And we believe that we are the rulers of that, which we're not at all. You know, we, our DNA is fractal, the way that our pores, like everything is fractal everything has this mathematical codes that fit exactly in everything so one thing that's important to say is that my fractals don't follow this codes my fractals are an inspiration of how this of how nature uses this codes but i do not use that those codes mm -hmm. to make my art i wish i did i wish i did but i'm <laughs> i'm i'm i wish i did but I, I i i don't i don't have that capacity to do it you know and so that's why it's an inspiration of those mathematical codes and how mm -hmm. they look. So now, I mean, um, now you're working with thread work. Tell us a little bit about that and how that is an evolution or if it's an evolution of fractal work, you know, working with, because um, I know in from researching that many times you discussed it, that viewers or list, uh, viewers or uh, fans of your work have said that, you know, there's an evolution in your process. So you talk a little bit about the evolution from, you know, starting out with drawings, starting out with, going moving into practicals and then moving into string work and how your thought process behind that what it's um what it's funny is that from the fractals i didn't move directly to the to the string work there's a little gap in there because in my first year in grad school when i decided to leave the fractal behind my my mentor um when, when she pushed me to do this i started doing performance work so literally not even like drawing because she was like do something that you've never done before and honestly doing my fractals I touched a lot of different mediums I did sculptures I did I did murals I like I did a lot of different mediums for so for me to find like a new medium to to really research and investigate on I was like well I've never done performance this is gonna super push me out of the comfort zone so I started doing performance and um, I created three characters. We can go deeper into that in a, in a sec, but not to, to not lose the, the thread. Um, that was my whole first year of grad school. And then when I was about to pass to my second year, um, she pushed me again to change completely my practice. By the way, she failed me. I almost flunked my first year of grad school. I'm not afraid of <laughs> Really, I'm not afraid or ashamed to say it because that's also something that pushed me to another place in my artistic life. There's a question that you sent me, Vijay, before we did this show, and, and you said, like, how do you, how can you explain failure? How do you look at failure? And this is, this is one of the stories that, that I can say, like, literally failure is just like a huge amount of little experience together. But it's not failure because you really don't know how that's gonna like transform you into something else that's gonna benefit you, you know. So yeah, I almost flunked my first year <laughs> of art school. Um, that's a whole different story. But when I had my opportunity to present for a second time, she was like, "I want you to do something completely different again." And I'm like, "Oh my god, 
to like something completely different. And one day, literally, I entered to Michael's, this arts and crafts store, and I bought yarn. And I was just like, it's so funny because my mentor has a really strong practice with yarn. And I swear to the Buddhas <laughs> that I didn't do this on purpose and I didn't do this consciously. I just, I bought a bunch of things that day. Like all, all these like different materials and stuff to just go to my studio and play around. And that's when the string installations came out. I started to play with staples and strings against the wall. And that's when my first string installations came out. And I had no idea in that summer, in the middle of my first year and my second year, that that was going to be the group of work, which I was going to base my thesis in. And it's going to be my my first group of work now that I graduated out of out of grad school. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. with the string work, you seem to be uh, investigating the subtle mind. You seem to be investigating different modalities um, beyond just representational. Obviously, for the listeners, they can go look at the um, the actual visual of it. But to give an explanation, it seems like you are guided by meditation, either on compassion or on different Buddhist meditations, and looking into the subtle mind and kind of creating designs that express a certain um, aspect of the path. So if you tell us a little bit about that and how, you know, obviously you're not creating like a person or like an object, but you're creating like a, a state of being, would you say? Or what is, what, how would you phrase it? Oh my it? God, BJ, you put it in such a beautiful way. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. <laughs> if I need to write something one day. Um, yeah, so I, I started playing around with the, with the strings and the, with, the, with the yarn and the staples. And what I realized, um, one day I, I had a stupid argument with a friend and I was a little bit upset and I was in my studio creating the, creating, um, the piece. And I realized that I just, I just couldn't do it. You know, I was like, this, the string wasn't just like straight and it was like draping. And, and, and then I was like, whoa, you know what? Like, I, I, I need to like sit down for, for a minute. You know, I have to like tune in into my into my meditation practice. I sit down, I did a meditation practice, my mind completely switched. And then I went back to the installation and, and I was like, I'm going to hold a mantra to, to keep doing the installation. And then when I did that, I realized that I was in a completely different place in a completely different state of mind. And the piece was coming completely different as, as how I was before, before when I just entered my studio. And then I was like, there's something interesting in here. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is exactly, this is life. Literally, this is life. You know, we're so stuck in our problems. We're so wrapped up into this angry minds or anxious minds and worrying minds. I mean, and I'm biting my tongue right now because it hasn't been easy these days with this whole pandemic. I have to accept that. Well, I'm trying, you know. Um, so I, I, I realized and, and the moment that I started doing a meditation, holding a mantra, and I basically like switched my mindset, it came out completely different. And I'm like, wow, this is life. That is life. You know, we're going through so much, we're going through so much trouble. And then if we just like do a switch of mind and focus in something more virtuous, you know, more positivity, or just by the fact of not being wrapped up in that terrible mind, things come out different. And I was like, wow, like I, this is how I'm going to work. So that's how they the idea of like putting meditations on purpose in my pieces. That's how, that's, that's how it came up. And, and yeah. And as you said, like, there's, 
there's different meditations for each different pieces. My my first two string installations, um, which can be string installations, painting a space, architectural moments, like this was a whole thing defining what that group of work was while I was like writing my thesis because I was like, this can be a painting in space. It could be, this could be a drawing in space. This is an installation or this can like, it's, it's hard to define them, which I also, which I also like the fact that, that it's really not like not easy to define it. I like the fact that I can't put it into a category more than not liking it, you know? So I, could you um, tell us, the first thing, so um, excuse me. Oh, yeah. I uh, just wanted to say, if you could say your website around just so people could take a look at your work. It's so beautifully presented. Um, and oh, I think, I think it, seeing it would make it so clear the way you merge the meditation with the work as, as you finally came to the, through this discovery. But uh, I want to make sure we, at this moment, give people a chance to maybe look at, the, at it simultaneously. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's www.axr-artist.com. Okay. Axrartist.com. Axr-artist.com. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank no, you're welcome. Thank so you. Thank you. On that website, you have an artist statement, um, which kind of falls along with this conversation, where you say, "In this civilization which thrives on narcissism, it can be difficult to engage in serious introspection long enough to create something." that's both meaningful and consistent. And your practice as an artist is uh, inseparable from this reflection. So let's talk a little bit about expanding on that and going into how you're saying about, um, and also dovetailing on how I was saying about the, the pieces being about the kind of getting more introspective. So, mm -hmm. and in what way, or what do you hope, one of the questions is about, what do you hope the listeners or the, the, the viewers will gain from when they exhibit, when they look at your art? Well, I mean, the first the first thing that I've always said is that, okay, yes, I, I, I have a message and I have a statement and I have a, a meaning and maybe a goal behind the art that I create, right? Because yes, like every every artist, we have that. But truly, I, I am super open and I love the fact that someone can look at my work and define whatever that person wants. Like, I love that. I mean, every artwork is open to interpretation and I'm, and I am super open to hear the interpretation of, of each person. You know, I think that really enriches my practice and that really more than imposing us, like more than imposing a subject, you know, like, I mean, I would, w I wish I could like go outside and shout to everybody like, Hey, everybody should be meditating. You have no idea what this is like more than like imposing that. I just want to like put up, a different perspective, you know, just like put a little tag into their mind of like, hey, this is what I've done. This is what has worked for me. I'm very lucky to be able to mix that experience with the work that I do, because I mean, I could have I've, I could have been doing advertising and just keep doing my practice. And that's it. It's my advertising and my practice. But to be able to to put my practice and my 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 life philosophy into the work that I do and plant it out there, I I feel super super lucky to be able to to do this. You know, that's 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 to to start with. So what I would like the the, the people to take home when they look at my art is just that little gap in their mind. You know, like that little possibility of like, 
come. I looked at this girl's work. It talks about meditation. It talks about growth. And yesterday night I was looking at my emails and I saw this like meditation course. Maybe I should check it out, you know, or they're walk walking. <laughs> out the no, yeah. or like they're like walking in this and they're like i mean that's what like instagram and, and and that's what the internet does right now that's how they plant everything in our head right yeah, that's so yeah. scary <laughs> like so also i think it's interesting well, because you're, oh go ahead go ahead bruce yeah i was gonna say uh Ranchi, your work reminds me of uh objects i'm also a, a follower tibetan buddhist teacher and um one of the objects that are common in my tradition which is the nyingma dzogchen tradition is namka, which is, uh, you may have seen these or heard of these, but they're thread, thread sculptures built on usually crosses or forms of crosses and the threads make a square. And they stand for space and sky and so forth. So when I saw your work, I immediately thought of the way threads have been used in a lot of uh, Buddhist practices, either through namka, through empowerment cords, um, they're often used in long life ceremonies. They have color codes based on the elements. So I, I got a very uh, grounded connection right away to your work and, and the ritual objects used in a lot of Buddhism. Yeah. Wow, it's so it's so interesting that you say that, Bruce. Because I mean, I I I have to definitely look into that because I I'm not really aware of that. But now that you mention. A few weeks ago, one of my best friends tagged me, tagged me in a photograph in, in Instagram of a little video of a girl. I think I, by the way that you describe it, I think she was doing exactly what you say. She was like doing this, this string piece, like in, like in this frame of wood. And my friend tagged me and mm -hmm. she was like, I know it's very different from what you do, but just check this out. And I was like, this is awesome. And she's like, you know, not that I think about it. No, it doesn't have anything to do with your work. But I just like saw the string and I'm like, no, no, no. Like, this is great. Like, there's different, definitely a comparison. But now that you say it, I think that that, that girl was was doing was doing that. It's so fun. I'm going to look. Yeah, I, yeah, I researched a bit today because I saw the connection and I didn't know. The, these Namka objects actually have roots in the bone, the pre-Buddhist traditions of Tibet. Wow. And so there's something very primordial in working with string and spirituality that you're you're connecting to there. And it's, it's very, very fascinating. Oh my God, thank you for that. I want to yeah. I, I research. When you say the pre-Buddhist traditions, wouldn't that be Hinduism? No, in Tibet. In Tibet. No, in Tibet, it was, it's called Bon. It's the animist tradition that was there before Buddhism. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's, so, that's and various aspects of it were incorporated into Tibetan Buddhism. Um, and there are still bon practitioners, but um, and this could well be one of those bon practices that was incorporated in, and redefined as Buddhism became more prominent in Tibet. Yeah. Oh but, my God. Um, Namka, N A M K H A is the name of the object. Okay, you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go deep into that. So also, <laughs> one other thing that comes to mind is mandala, because mandalas being the uh, structure, the imagine, imagine. Mm. My understanding has been the imagine um, structure of the universe and like creating an internal landscape. And uh, there's a couple of ways in which I think it plays into your work. In some of the videos on your website, you showed uh, some of the structures, the Buddhist temples were inspiration. That's one way. And the second way is that traditionally sand mandalas became, um, they were kind of extinguished or they were kind of wiped out. And the string art, I understand, is site-specific. So mm -hmm. they're going to be kind of gone, if you will, when you when your life continues to progress. So tell, if you tell us a little bit about the temporal and uh, sure. uh, 
you know, what is it called? Um, yeah, temporal or like, you know, it's like um, specific, ephemer ephemerality in yeah, my yeah, work. Exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, the first ones that I started doing were definitely site specific. And I love this concept, you know, of it's a lot of work put into one place. And if that place is not there, the piece is not there. Because it has, as you say, it's linked to to all this ephemerality and the present moment that it's talked a lot in, in, in Eastern traditions, right? So I was doing it like that. And then I was pushed into doing them in wooden panels to be able to move them. So for my thesis shows, the curators came to my studio and they were like, you have three days to do the installation in the gallery and it's concrete walls. So this is going to be a little bit hard. So I was pushed to do the, the work in wooden panels, with, which this changed a lot changed completely the the idea of ephemerality and it was something that i that i didn't want to do but i i was pushed to do it for the sake of my work it was funny because um this, this friend that i that i said that she sent me the picture she's also an artist and she was like super against it she was like no i don't know how you're gonna do it but you have to do it in the gallery it's site specific and i was like oh, but i have a month to create this amazing piece for my thesis show like against two days and finding ways to do it in the concrete i was like i just have to do it in wooden panels so now i am working in in wooden in wooden panels and this permits the work to move and by doing it in moving panels i already had the the opportunity to to show that piece in in different places but my dream is to do it site specific if if a client wants to buy one of my pieces i have to go to their house and build a piece in their in their wall and if they move houses well they should put the price of the piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I don't know. I, I have I have no idea how am I gonna sell that work. It's work that's very hard to sell, which is great also because that goes completely different to my fractal work. That it was a, a little bit commercial, you know. And now I I it's stupid because it's stupid and weird because I'm like it's so hard to sell my work, but I like that that it's not work that that is just for selling. It's just not a decorative object, you know. It's it's an experience that you're gonna have in the in the in the corner of your room made with so much intention and made with like with, made with a mind of, of of a virtuous mind, you know, full of, full of blessings that I'm just like putting there in the middle. Not that I do the blessings, but the minds that I receive to put that object in, in your wall is what, what you're gonna take. But putting it putting it close to to the mandala, my my Buddhist tradition, which is the Kadampa Buddhist tradition. Um, the mandalas that we offer, they're, they're not, they're not this sand man, this beautiful sand mandalas that other traditions of Buddhism do. And they like throw them to the, to the river. The mandalas that we offer are purely like mind mandalas. They're special meditations. I mean, there's something that we do with our, with our hands to like offer a mandala. And when we offer a mandala, we do it completely with with the mind, imagining what is a mandala, because at the end of the day, the, tra the translation of a mandala is, it's a pure land, a mind of a pure land. So when you offer a mandala in your meditations, you're literally imagining that you're offering this pure world with amazing rivers and with abundant food and with no sickness and with beautiful scents. And like you imagine your mandalas. I mean, there's a lot of different meditations on how to order your mandala. But it isn't a specific process that you do with the mind because my tradition, it's it's literally a hundred percent about the mind. Like it's nothing like to do with objects or physical, which maybe I'm contradicting my work in here because that's that is an object, right? 
but my tradition is fully based in how to obtain those those minds in order to to create like the life you want. That's why we don't we don't do those those mandalas. I don't know if this. Could you describe your tradition a little bit because you're part of a very very important Tibetan tradition, and uh, I think folks would like to know how you found it and what it consists of and and how it's worked uh, worked out for you. Sure. So, um, Kadampa Buddhism basically means modern Buddhism. So, my, my teacher, Geshe La, Geshe Kelsan Yatso, he came in the beginning of the 60s. I mean, I know a lot, a lot of spiritual teachers came from, from, the, in, from the Eastern, no, in the 60s. Well, my, my teacher was, was one of them. And he basically, what Geshe La did is he translated a lot of Tibetan texts not only translated them, but made them accessible for people to practice in modern times. I have to, I, I mean, I'll, some Buddhist traditions have a little bit of problems with this because they're like, oh, how can you translate a sacred text, like a Tibetan, like textual text to like modern, modern life. But the way that we, that we see it is, the way that they practiced Buddhism in, in Tibet in the times of Buddha, there were no roads. There were like a lot of different things that we live in the modern world. I mean, there was no internet. There were no, the ways that we related to each other were not the same. So there's a lot of things in, in Buddhist philosophy that it's, that it could be impossible to practice nowadays because of how times have changed, you know? So Geshe literally made Buddhism to be able to be practiced in modern times with everything that we have right now, keeping the, the, the Buddhist text as pure and as clear as it can be in order for everyone to understand and find the logic in them. Because if not, then they tend to be very like completely metaphorical and, and surreal. And, and Geshe was like, people have to understand how to practice this tradition with modern times and all the obstacles that we have now, because it's not the same than, than they were doing it at, in, in Tibet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that is my tradition. It's, it's modern, modern Buddhism. So also I want to talk a little bit about, or dive back into the performance art. Um, so now you had done a project, there were three projects um, <coughs> that you'd worked on in performance art, the green tower project, the selfie project, and I think another one, uh, Delamar, which I know is a specific character that we can just kind of brush over uh, and people can look that up. But I want to specifically go into the Buddha Tara um, project and how you felt about it and how it kind of how it materialized into a performance. Are you taking the, the persona of Buddha Tara and going out into the public? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, um. Oh, something that I forgot to mention that, that Bruce asked me is that how did I how did I that I started this tradition? It was because part of my mom's family started practicing like 15 years ago. So uh, literally because of my aunt and my cousins, I was like, oh, my God, they're like so cool. They're so calm. They're so amazing. And I just they invited me to uh, retreats every now and then until <laughs> suddenly I found myself mega practicing you know like everyday meditating i wanted to do all the retreats and i was like whoa i think i i think i belong here and also i've been always a seeker since i was young i was i was into a lot of cults i was into a lot of different like 
psychology courses. Like I was all the time, all, I mean, I grew up in a Catholic school and I was all the time questioning, all the time questioning, like, where do we come from? Where is God? What is the meaning of, of, of life? And so, yeah, I did like a bunch, yeah, a bunch of different stuff since I was, I think, literally like 14 years old i was always seeking like two years in one group then here then there and then when i found buddhism and i have been almost five years practicing now and i feel that i find i found my place i mean i i really hope i i really hope this is my place because it has changed my life in an amazing way so yeah that's how i fell into into the tradition so and the the first buddha that really uh drove my attention was green Tara. Something that's important to say is that Buddhas, Buddhas are not, are not like gods. It's not like, like another religious tradition that it is like, Oh, the God that is going to solve all your problems and and is going to help you. I mean, of course the Buddhas help us, but at the end of the day, the Buddhas are just minds. They're drawn like that, like this amazing figures because it's, because it, with our human mind is the way that we can relate to them. But at the end of the day, Buddhas are just minds. They're just enlightened minds. So that's why there's different Buddhas, you know? There's a compassion Buddha, the power Buddha, the wisdom Buddha. There are all these different Buddhas that when we meditate on them, we just learn how to sink our minds into the minds of those Buddhas. So we're meditating in compassion. We're meditating in wisdom power. We're meditating in... Um, we're meditating in in death you know we're meditating all these different virtuous objects and those are the buddhists you know so green tara is a buddha that my my cousin showed it to me uh like a long time ago when i wasn't even a practitioner and i just loved her i was like who is this green woman sitting down in a lotus with a with a feet outside the lotus because green tara you know, all the, like a lot of Buddhas are just sitting down in like the meditative posture and Green Tara has her feet outside the lotus. So she's ready to take action. She's the, the mother Buddha, the swift one, the, um, the, the compassion and swiftness Buddha. You know, she's the one that just is ready to step out of the lotus and help you. So I was like, wow, I love that philosophy. I love that mind because I've been always really active and really intense. And I need, I need like, that compassion but i need that swiftness so it's like the perfect balance so i really fell in love with this buddha and when i was already in my mfa i i've always loved to dress up since i was a kid i love cosplay i love dressing up i love makeup and i was like i would love to dress up as as green tara one day and a halloween party came up and i was like i'm gonna go to the halloween party dressed up as green tara but I'm going to go to it like really thinking I am Green Terra. I'm going to try to keep like this mind of like complete compassion and always like positive doing her mantra. Of course, I was I mean, I, I don't drink that much, to be honest. Um, but I was like, I'm not going to have a drink like that day. I'm just going to be in constant meditation. So I went to this party dressed up as Green Terra. And then there is where, where I was like, aha, uh-huh, this is going to be a, a whole performance. I'm going to going to dress up as green Terra and do a bunch of like things in quotidianity to see what it would be to really carry that mind and really carry that really like embody that buddha and there's sutra and tantra in buddhism i'm not going to go really deep into that but the point is that um in tantra buddhism the the meditations that you have to do is not anymore 
to like practice like like a mantra like towards the buddha but it's more like embodying the buddha you know mm -hmm. so and to start like doing um because tantra has nothing to do with sex in my tradition a lot of people hear like tantra ooh, sex in my buddhist tradition tantra it's not sex that's something completely different from another tradition in my tradition tantra means when you actually embody embody the buddha right and to be able to do tantric practices with the buddhas you have to have certain empowerments which that is basically like a longer meditation that you get involved and then you're ready to like start doing those practices so i was doing green tara in the sutra path that it's more mantras and more kind of like feeling a a, a bit of a separation with a buddha to to say it like with apples and bananas you know and and then when I was able to do this tantric practice of being able to become Green Tara, it was funny because I started doing the performance before involving this meditation. So in a way I was like, oh my God, I'm, when I did like my, my official ten Green Tara empowerment, I was like, wow, I, I was so ready for this. I was, I was, and it was my first like tantric empowerment, like Buddha, like Green Tara was the first Buddha that I actually started practicing in. And so, yeah, I, I, I did this performance. I wrote, a, I wrote a lot about it. But in school, I had a lot of problems with this performance because my, my mentor said that it was cultural appropriation. That was one of the main factors that I think I was, I was failed my first year in grad school because she was like, this is complete cultural appropriation. And I was like, why? Because I, I can't be a Buddhist if I'm Mexican. Like, what's up with that, you know? She's like, no, you're like getting a figure from Eastern traditions and you're like dressing up as that figure. When, and I'm like, you don't need to be, you don't need to belong to any country to, to, to be a Buddha, you know, to practice Buddhism. So we got into like really heated arguments around, around this, you know, it wasn't an easy subject. I, it, I had a lot of difficulty explaining it. And yeah, so I couldn't carry on with that performance and maybe one day I'll I'll pick it up again and I'll go way deeper with Green Terra. I mean a lot of people also said that it wasn't art at all and it was complete cosplay. And I didn't have any I don't I really didn't have a problem with this because like if it's not art and it's cosplay, like really what's a what's the difference? What's art? You know, like really maybe I'm just a designer. I'm not an artist. You know like Well I I have a bit of a theater background and I've always felt that uh tantric Buddhism is much like acting of course. where the actor unifies their mind and heart with a character of course in this case in tantric buddhism you're melding your mind and heart with a buddha as a character so um and a lot of theater people respond to various forms of buddhism a lot because of that uh you know because of the way their minds work and the way they can associate with something that may seem external they can internalize that and use that and so whether in, in, when you get into trouble in academia and in uh, various other venues, perhaps over that issue, but as a spiritual practice, I think the unity of performance and uh, spiritual practice are uh, deeply embedded. Certainly Tibetan uh, Buddhism has theater. Um, they do a lot of sacred plays and performances. So there are definitely attributes of that which are common to the spiritual practice. So you've tapped into something 
there that it may have had academic issues, but it certainly, to me at least, it has very strong spiritual authenticity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 100%, Bruce. It's, it's kind of like this, fake it till you make it, but like super intense, no? Like, not, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're, we're not enlightened yet. We're not in, I mean, it's, we're not enlightened yet, <laughs> and we have to like try to be enlightened until one day we are, you know? I mean, what I believe, so sorry, sorry, I interrupted. Okay, I was just gonna bring it into the uh, how when we impute ourselves on um, Tara, it's like it's it's rejecting the ego-driven, the personas that we believe ourselves, the limited personas we believe ourselves to be. And uh, you also looked at narcissism in the selfie project, which we'll talk a little bit about about how looking at kind of the way you're viewed and how you view yourself and mm -hmm. kind of that ego-driven. In Buddhism, they have the no-self, that the idea that the self we imagine ourselves to be, the self we care for, the self we cherish, the self we grasp at is, is just an illusion or construct or social or a uh, psychological construct. So tell us a bit about the selfie project and how that kind of is in line with this ideology or this, this kind of perspective. Yeah. Completely, completely. Um, I mean, what I believe is that when, when, I, when I started studying Buddhism and I started really practicing, I... I realize that that if if you get really deep into that practice, then you kind of don't need anything else, right? Like I, I started believing in that, but then I was like, hmm, I think that there there are some other aspects that we can we can help ourselves in in order to maybe have a deeper Buddhist practice, and that's psychology, right? And I was like, I think I I do need to like look at some of my my aspects and the psycho like because the selfie project it can be a spiritual of course because we're talking about evolution we're talking about evolving ourselves we're talking about going through the ego right yes we are but i think that that has that project has to do more with like psychological aspects you know like how how have i looked at myself all the time like growing up you know and it's tricky with performance arts because with performance art if you don't go if you don't I mean, there's really successful performance art that you really don't need an explanation and just look look at it and like understand what it's about. In my performance, I do think that you need to read a little bit of what's about it to to get the to get like the how to get like the soul of them, you know, to to get for what they are. Because a lot of I also received a lot of comments of like, oh, you're just putting selfies of yourself on top of yourself. Again, like I forget that I'm talking in the in the radio, and I have to put a little bit of images in, in people's minds. So, the selfie project, I basically took a selfie. I made it a temporary tattoo with a special paper. I covered myself in selfies. I took another selfie, like a, with with a phone, and then I printed that selfie with selfies of myself, made a temporary tattoo, and went again. You know, and I did like five rounds, a kind of like Inception. Then I covered myself from the neck all the way to the to my feet, and that was a, a first stage of the project. And a second stage was when, and I can like tell you very long stories of how I jumped from like like step to step, but we're I don't want to run out of time. Um, yeah. So one of the stages was I when I was full of the tattoos, I went to different art fairs with like a very sheer dress, kind of almost naked. I mean, wearing a really small underwear with like a bra, and just <laughs> walked around art fairs with a selfie stick, taking selfies of myself in the middle of the art fair. And people, I mean, people came up to me and they were like, what is this about? And I'm like, well, I'm questioning art. Like, what is art? I'm questioning 
all all these notions of like what's the thin what's a thin line between self-love and narcissism you know so i was getting all these responses from the people and also what was interesting it was also this aspect of vulnerability you know when i entered the fair because it was a whole thing entering the fair to do this performance because i of course i didn't have permission i mean i'm I'm, I mean, looking at in terms of the art world, I'm still a young artist, you know? So, I mean, it's if I wrote to Freeze London or Independent Art for New York and say, like, I want to do a performance, I was going to just get blown out, you know? So the way that I did it is I just entered the art first in the bathroom and I changed in the bathroom and I just went with my sheer dress outside the bathroom. So that was like a whole a whole thing in my website you can see like a little documentary of, of my whole experience when i went to freeze london since i get in the bathroom and i change myself and i do all this so also that the 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 fact of vulnerability is when i get out of the bathroom like full of tattoos of myself barely naked of course you get all 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 these gazes all these stares and at the beginning, like I'm shaking inside. I'm shaking. I've never done it alone. I've always do it like with a friend that is a photographer, with a, with a friend who is a photographer, you know? So in a way I'm like, okay, my friend is there taking pictures of me. And at the beginning, when I start doing it, I, I don't go that far away from my friend because there's this aspect of like vulnerability of like, don't, don't, don't go, don't leave me alone, you know? But then as I'm walking and as I'm taking more selfies and as I'm talking with more people, like, vulnerability switches into power completely i feel super empowered i'm like i'm here with selfies of myself feeling like a walking piece of art in the middle of freeze london interviewing people about narcissism and about self-love and about the the, the selfie phenomenon in, in social media and also when i was doing that project i didn't have social media i didn't have social media for a year so it was like how can i do a selfie project without having social media you know how how do we throw an image of ourselves out there from such an intimate space with like for a thousand people to see, you know? So I started also questioning what were all the aspects of the selfie? So it's a product that has layers and layers and layers because then I did also like my high school uniform with my selfies. And I talked about what was, what was growing up for me in a Catholic school where I couldn't be myself and how, and why I did a tattoo when I was 14 years old to prove to the nuns and to like my parents or everyone that that was like a sign of individuality. That's what I did, why I did, did a tattoo when I was young. And that's why the selfie project are tattoos, you know? So there's all these layers and layers about the, the selfie project and the way that I ended this project. I mean, all my projects could be ongoing. It's not like I ended them, but but a final stage was when I decided to do a performance in my studio with a real tattoo artist doing the real self, like my real selfie on my, on my arm while I was taking selfies. <laughs> so that's how that performance, that was actually the project that I, that I showed in school in order to pass to my second year. <laughs> that's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. And it's very like engaged and, you know, you're putting yourself out there. And I think that when people view it or when I was viewing some of the, uh, pictures of it they're like reflecting on their own process and how you know it's like just like the um the thesis statement is the the thread that weaves us all you know it seems to also be like your experience is part the more specific you get into your experience the more you get into the universal experience that we all have and i think mm. you've achieved that that's, yeah yeah that's that's my whole thing that's my whole thing you know to i mean of course we make art for ourselves but i I make art for my, I when I do a, an artwork I'm like how can I how can I add to the world with what I'm doing 
you know, like I do something and it's how can I, how can I add to the world? How can I help the world? You know, how can I, how can I change a perspective? How can I add value to something? You know, that's something that always motivates the way that I, that I do it. Like whether the motivation comes first and then the project or I'm doing a project and then like the concept comes, you know, it's like, it's, it's so that's a good segue. I wanted to ask you where you are now, uh, what you're thinking about now, your projects you're thinking of now, or if you're able to execute them under quarantine. And how is you're you're back home in Mexico City, right? And uh, how is it there? And uh, what's life like now? Well, I I decided to come to Mexico City without even thinking about it. It was the 12th of March, I think the day that they announced that it was a national emergency. In I was in New York City. I was literally in my studio. And then, like, just hearing, like, getting, like, news that everything was shutting down. And then I, I talked to my dad, and I was like, I think I should, I should just jump back home. You know, I don't know how things are going to be. They're going to shut everything up. And I just bought the ticket and I was flying home in the next flight that I could find. Right. And I arrived to Mexico with my naive idea that I was going to be here around three weeks, something like that. It's almost three months. And I was like, I'm, it was very hard for me to come to Mexico because I feel New York city was in a little, in a more like deeper stage than Mexico. So when I arrived to Mexico city with all this mind of like, oh, we're in a pandemic, everything is shutting in New York City, like coming out of the airport, everyone was like wearing masks and taking the right precautions. And I was like, oh, pandemic, pandemic. And I was flying like this. When I arrived to Mexico, oh, vacation, like nobody was wearing masks, like people were going out, like it was normal. And for me, it was like, what's going on? Like I, I came back from New York City to do quarantine with my parents in Mexico and Mexico, things are like, nothing had happened. So it was very hard for me to to one like come to terms with my parents of like stop fighting and stop like imposing this like oh let's do quarantine and I think we both of us like were able to come to like a very good term and well and the country well yeah everything's shut down I mean we can get into politics but I don't think we'll, <laughs> we'll have much of that much time for that but but I think that that we've been able to I mean, of course, things are intense. We're like in 8,000 deaths right now in the whole country. But I think we would be much worse if the people had enacted from themselves. I feel that if we had listened to the government and if we had done what the, what the president was telling us, I think we would be in 30,000 deaths right now. If we're in 8,000, which is a big number, it's because people decided to act without listening to the president and taking their own measurements. Like people started self-quarantining self-quarantining by themselves before listening to the president. So I think that's that's why we're things are not as bad as they as they could be. And and now, well, I have I have like there's like a basement in my house, and I happen to have some old doors that an ex-boyfriend one day gave to me, like I swear seven years or eight years ago. And he was just like, oh, um, I found this like old doors in a trip that I did in this like hacienda, this like old house. And he gave me the doors and I put them together in the back with some hinges. So I'm using them as corners to make some string art, which I like it because it's doors and quarantine and you know how like the doors are like thick made out of wood and the string is so delicate so that has to do 
kind of like what we are going through right now in the quarantine, you know, like we have to be strong, but sometimes we break, sometimes like we want to stretch, but we can't, but we're heavy, but sometimes we're beautiful at the same time. So that's how I'm playing with, with those pieces. But um, what it's a little bit intense right now is that I have to be in New York City before the 6th of July because my OPT visa that I'm on right now expires. So I'm, I'm in the process of getting my artist visa, which, oh my God, that's also something that I've been doing all through quarantine. It's a, it's a full-time job. If anybody has to do an artist visa, like really send me an email because I could give a seminar on that. Like it's so much work to, to put together an artist visa. So I hopefully I, I finished all the process and yeah, I have to figure out, I mean, I'm not going to get it before the 6th of July, but I'm able to get back. And I wouldn't be illegal because when you're already processing a visa, you're in, in a status that's called pending. So I would be pending, but it's a tough decision because if I go back to New York City right now and uh, I don't know, things get very intense in Mexico, I'm going to be worried about my parents, you know, but also like if I stay in Mexico and things start running in New York City, then that means that I could lose my projects and everything is so uncertain right now. Like I have to, I mean, I, going back to meditation meditation is what what's been getting like what's what's been helping me be a little bit stable because my mind right now it's it's like if it was like a little like rubber ball like if you like pushed it against the room and the ball was like did, 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 like everywhere yeah. that is my mind it's so uncertain everything like if i go here if i go there if i move this piece and this other move piece that you know this yeah, like a it's definitely comments of the interconnectedness of everything and how you know, there's such a delicate balance we're achieving here. And, you know, just to be able to understand our impact on the world at large, you know, that taking care of ourselves means taking care of our community. And it results in, you know, there's something really to meditate on about this crisis, you know, to understand that self-care is also connected to the care of our community. So I think no. there's something to think about. But I just want to quickly do a couple of quick announcements and we'll continue the conversation. Um, this is Radio Free Brooklyn, Truth to Power Show. We are every Monday at 8 a.m., but today is a special airing in the potluck dinner slot on a Friday. Um, but friends, COVID-19 is disrupting everyone's lives right now, and Radio Free Brooklyn is no exception. We want you to know that we have made every effort to ensure the health and well-being of our hosts, staff, and community at large. We've closed both our studios and canceled live events, but our hosts are still doing their best to continue bringing you new original programming. We're broadcasting live and pre-recording from their home studios or by selecting the best rebroadcasts in their past shows. With all our, most of our revenue stream evaporated, we need your help. We realize that it may be hurting too, but, but if you can't afford, <coughs> if you can't afford a small donation, it'll be a long way to helping us stay on the air. There are three ways you can help. First, you can go a one-time donation or monthly donation and go to readyforbrooklyn.org/donate. There, you can find some great T-shirts, mugs, and other swag that we'd like to send to you um, as thanks. We can also use the phone RFP Give Five. That's number five to 44321. Um, it only takes a minute. And uh, if you'll be able to use your digital wallet for your donation. Finally, if you shop on Amazon, you go to amazon.com smile and register Radio Free Brooklyn as a nonprofit you wish to support. When you do a percentage of your sales will go to our fee and it'll cost you nothing. No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts and wish those just health and happiness as we weather the storm together. Um, so we got about four minutes left. Um, so talking about love as the answer, um, you know, uh, one of the questions was, what does personal political mean to you or truth to power mean to you? Um, you were talking a little bit about how 
Um, you know, you're talking a little bit about how love is the answer in your pre-interview questions, but you talk a little bit about how what role compassion and love plays in this time. Yeah. What do you think? Super tough, right? Because this is a this is a time that that makes us worry and that makes us think a lot about ourselves. You know, it's like I'm worried. What's gonna happen with my problems? What's gonna happen with my life? What's gonna happen with my family? So, it's time that makes us think a lot about ourselves. When in truth, it's times that we should be thinking way more about others. It's tough. It's tough. But that that really, I mean, and, and in the moment that we think about others, we stop thinking about ourselves. And then if we're not thinking about ourselves, then that means that our suffering goes low. But doing this, it's just a it's a whole practice. And there's something that that you said that brought my attention. And you said, like, it's times that it's important to meditate on. Mm. I mean, I think that here we're using meditation in a, in a different way. One thing is yeah. when we meditate on something is when we like observe and contemplate something and we're like, mm, we try to go a little bit more deeper into it. Right. But then also like meditation means going inward, you know, not thinking about anything, you know, just going inward. So something that I want to say really fast is when things work because of the space that there's in it, right? If we have a cup, it's the space that makes it work, where we fill it in. A house, it's the walls, it's inside of it, what makes it work. It's the same with meditation. If we're able to find that space, tuning in with our breath or with whatever meditation technique that we have, and we access that space, that is where everything happens. You know, we're here, we're up here in the head. You know, if you put water outside the cup, if you put a bed in the ceiling of the house, that's not going to work. It's always inside where, where it works, you know? Mm. So it's the same with meditation. If we're able to tap into that space, there is, there is where we find truth. There is where we find immensity. There is where we find wisdom, you know, not up here. And the only way to discover it is by practicing it, by doing it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that a heart sent felt, heartfelt center is where we should move from yeah mm -hmm. heartfelt and the heart could, could you repeat your website one more time around because i want to make sure people can follow your fascinating work no i also think instagram instagram handle um my my website is axr-artist.com and my instagram is axr bottom slash artist okay. Unders yeah okay no, great underscore underscore yeah Cool. Underscore. Yeah. Underscore, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Well, this has been delightful. Good luck navigating everything and uh, keeping at your work in the middle of it all. And uh, we look forward to seeing what your next projects are. Oh, I thank you so much. Bruce, it was so good to meet you in, 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 um, in voice. <laughs> good to meet you. <laughs> I can see you soon in, in New York City. Thank, thank you so you, much for this you. wonderful invitation. It's really, really great. Thank you. And so, listeners, this is the Radio Free Brooklyn. You can tune in every Monday at 8 a.m. or go to our archives at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash truth to power. Thanks so much. We have about 10 more seconds. So, uh, also check out my work at bgrnathan.com. I thought I'd throw that in there just in case people are interested <laughs> in uh, investigating my work as well. Thank you. Awesome. Are we still on? Uh, 